You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I have uh, Chuck Meekin. He's a doctor and uh, now medical director of the Care Oncology Clinic in the USA. And there's, uh, I believe, a sister clinic over in the UK. Uh, he joined this June after 30 years of radiation oncology uh, in his previous life. So we're going to be talking about, uh, I don't want to talk about the old stuff. I'd rather talk about the new stuff because I've heard good things about the Care Oncology Clinic. So I hope you're okay with that, Chuck, and, and welcome. Yes, uh, Richard, that sounds wonderful. So I'm excited to dive right in and uh, spread the word about a project I I really believe in and have dedicated uh, the second part of my career to. Yeah, that's that's the first question there is why, after so long doing one thing, have you uh, moved over to this clinic? What prompted you? So it, it's there was a few nudges along the way, and, and uh it's been teasing at me for years. I, you know, back to grade school, high school, I was always interested in sort of Eastern thoughts on and, and what influences outcome with people, you know, what their mindset was, what their diet was, what their lifestyle habits were. And I was a student of martial arts, yoga, I was a vegetarian for a while, well before people of my age, genre uh, thought about that kind of stuff. And, uh, so as a as a busy 12-hour-a-day oncologist in a wonderful hospital outside of Charlotte with a lovely, large uh, group of, of oncologists, I was always a little bit on the outside, you know, looking at alternatives to standard of care that would, in, you know, favorably impact without side effects the outcome. Uh, I, I pursued, you know, further study in nutrition. I pursued further study in and. You know, complementary therapies. I became a bulletproof coach in 2016. I, I was tuned into the whole metabolic theory of, of disease maybe 15 years ago, and, and now it's just starting to get some traction in the United States. So uh, I, I also uh, was, I'm in a family of, of people that have a disease course or a, a minor problem called retinitis pigmentosa, which is a, a slow decay of your peripheral vision. And Although my family's been blessed and we've had a, a longer course than most, in December of 2018, I went up for my every two-year check-in at Massachusetts Eye and Ear, 
which in, in the in you know a few years ago had some studies in it, and that's what was attracted to me to it. And they said, "Gee, you know, you you've decayed a little bit. Uh, you're still an outlier. Most people have trouble in their 30s and 40s and 50s, uh, but you now hmm. are below the 20 degree peripheral vision for a certain test intensity, and that makes you legally blind." So right. after re- asking them to repeat that, I. I said, oh, my goodness, uh, this changes everything. You cannot be a legally blind director of a cancer center in sort of a visual-based field. You know, we looked at MRIs and CT scans and PET scans all day long. I also did prostate implants and, and a lot of visual work. And um, so I powwowed with my team and uh, my wife and family, and I asked permission to finish out the month because I had some important things I felt like I had committed to people who came to me from a distance for prostate implants. And so I, the end of December, okay. told my lovely cancer team, I'm going to, when I leave today, I'm going to ring the bell because it's my last day. And, um, and that worked out okay. I immediately heard about uh, this entrepreneurial program at Notre Dame where I did my undergrad and uh, thought about that. And then I ran into the team from Care Oncology. I had been introduced before and I tried to get their protocol out of a hospital unsuccessfully, but I ran into them again, and it was perfect alignment at this point. I, I knew I wanted to continue to work in oncology to bring you know, metabolic and alternative strategies to the mainstream, and this was my easy ticket to do it. Sorry for the long answer. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's fine. Well, you mentioned very briefly just now, so that the care oncology clinic, instead of the normal triad of just radiation, surgery, and chemotherapy, they do things differently. So can you talk about how and why and what they do differently? Uh, They, and and all great things start with a story, usually a story of love and pain. And that's how people get out of themselves and, and, and break barriers. And this has that same element. Robin Bannister, our beloved one of our beloved co-founders uh, was managing, helping manage his wife. He's a, he's a PhD pharmacist, but his wife was already a few cycles or a few rounds of chemotherapy uh, into things uh, with stage four breast cancer back in 2008 and 2009. And uh, what I had heard is at that point, there wasn't many options left. As a creative pharmacist who'd put together some, already assembled some drugs uh, in a creative way, he knew about repurposing of drugs, namely that most drugs have four to six molecular pathways of activity, yet they only get designed and sort of labeled for one use. And we all know what these are. You know, minoxidil was found to grow hair on the head, although originally designed for high blood pressure. Viagra was originally designed for pulmonary hypertension and was found to be helpful for erectile dysfunction. So there's actually a, a basket of these these wonderful drugs that have secondary effects against cancer. And, and it's listed on what's called the redoproject.com. And at the time, uh, that wasn't available, but, uh, but, Rob, uh, but Robin looked through the world's literature, found 100 drugs that had activity, you know, you know by, found by accident against cancer, but designed for something else, weaned it down to 10. Nobody can take 10 extra medicines. He weaned it down to four and then suggested that they take three medicines two all the time, and then two in alternation. And these were the medicines that had different activities against cancer, different pathways, were real vetted, real well vetted for safety, were also generic at the time, so they're inexpensive and easily available. 
and put his he put his wife on these and she stabilized for a few years and ultimately did pass from her breast cancer but um he felt this was too good an idea to let go to rest and he worked together with a uh, Gregory Staloff and together they formed Care Oncology in 2013 i heard about it uh through a lecture i went to uh and and said boy this is brilliant i i've heard about repurposing of drugs this will help lower cost we know about these side effects because of years of monitoring and they work differently than the cytotoxic you know kill kill cells you know and there's a lot of collateral damage as well uh with chemotherapy you know the more regional treatment with radiation which you know some cells are are more vulnerable than others but in general there's long term damages and then thirdly now with biologic therapies uh some of those are targeted but usually just to one metabolic flaw in the cellular growth pattern and generally don't work upstream in the full messaging of metabolic proliferation our metabolic protocol works very upstream in that it blocks you know metabolically signals for proliferation and and in doing that it greatly down regulates proliferation messaging to cancer cells and and works in all the ways we've heard of it it increases cell kill when chemotherapy is used or radiation it also blocks new blood vessel formation it disrupts membranes it upregulates a pathway to improve suppression of cancer cell proliferation and and additionally it works against all the other things we're at risk for to get in trouble in life like cerebral vascular disease, cardiovascular disease, you know, neurologic um, problems. I have a quick question here. This is a difficult one, but why do you yes. think that drugs have five or six different pathways instead of just the intended pathway in the body? It's, it's, it's probably unanswerable by you, but what's yeah, your yeah. My, my hypothesis is that you can't impact one thing without impacting a few different cascades. And there's probably more than four to six. There's probably you know, four to six main ones, and then there's secondary and tertiary ones. But the four to six main ones are the ones that are, are known about. And for instance, uh, these four drugs, if you go to clinicaltrials.com, .com, which is the U.S. government list of human trials, there's currently nine trials, excuse me, 90, over 90 trials currently with our main drug, metformin. There's over 30 with statins, our second drug. There's over 13 with the antibiotic doxycycline, our fourth drug, and over three with mebendazole, our, our fourth drug. So there's a lot of interest in these. We're the only ones that use all four together and have a, a vetted trial that showed showed efficacy against a very, very difficult, difficult to treat tumor. Which, and which so, cancers do you uh, work with in using this four drug mix? So when they started the company, Richard, they they knew they had to get traction. So Gregory and Robin worked hard to get some access to putting a trial together. They didn't have the billions of dollars to do a randomized trial. So they did a patient-matched control where in England, everybody got the standard of care with brain tumors, glioblastoma, the one that just you know caused the death of lovely John McCain. And he lived about a year and probably had the best of possible care available to him. So 95 patients were treated with surgery, generally radiation and mild chemotherapy, and then some got further chemotherapy, and some got a electromagnetic treatment called Optune. And 95 were given this four-drug cocktail along with it, and most didn't even start it until six to seven months into it. 
And instead of having the virtually the best outcome, which we see in any of the literature between the U.S., U.K., and Europe, which is about two in 10 live to 10 years, excuse me, live to two years. Nobody lives to 10 years, but two in 10 live to two years. And in the care oncology subset, the, the 95 patients, 58% lived to two years. And many of those patients didn't really start the drugs until pretty late in the, in the, the actual treatment. And only about one in 10 had to stop any one of the medicines for any side effects. So we since have treated another 185 patients. And that first group of 95 was published in June of this year in the, that in the peer-reviewed journal, Frontiers of Pharmacology. And the second cohort is going to be further analyzed and ultimately published. But now, in addition to brain tumors, after that proof of efficacy, and that tumor has been, really hasn't changed the outcome. You know, for the 30 years I've been treating cancer patients, we treated a lot of, you know, people with glioblastoma. Uh, now we're treating all types of high-risk cancer, like mainly colorectal cancer, breast cancer, some sarcomas, ov ovarian cancers, and GYN cancers, lung cancers, and prostate cancers. Firstly, it works against any, any type of cancer because all cancers have similar sort of metabolic flaws. So what are the uh, functions of these four drugs as you understand them? Like what's metformin's role? What's doxycycline's role? Can you step through them generally or yeah. is that not your area? Well, I, you know, I'm a clinician, but having now worked with care oncology and, 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 and sort of put together a technical review, I, I'm familiar with how they work. You know, metformin was uh, it's originally from the lilac plant. It's been around for 30 to 40 years. It's It's used to make your body more sensitive to insulin. So you tend to have you know, lower blood sugars and therefore lower insulin levels. And that's important for you know, long-term health of you know, type 2 diabetes and a lot of other inflammatory diseases. But it's also very important for cancer. And uh, it's believed that cancer cells are primarily dependent on the use of sugars or gluconeogenesis for the production of their ATP, their energy production. And if you, if you pinch that off or you reduce that, they become less, at, less likely to grow and more at risk to damage by chemo and radiation. And that's why fasting works. And that's why you know, getting a ketogenic diet works. And that's why pharmacologic management, like with metformin and, and, and uh, atorvastatin work, because they create almost like a a uh, pharmacologic fasting state. Now, it's not just the effect on the blood sugar that results in the, the impact. It also works down a, a lot of metabolic pathways that are you know, more scientific in their name, like mTOR, which it downregulates. That's our body's propensity to make new cells. It, it, it slows that proliferation. It upregulates a surveillance pathway called AMP kinase. And then it works against uh, the, selectively against the tumor a potential to make new blood vessels, which is how tumors spread. So it, it, it works richly and works synergistically with uh, the statins. And then the other two drugs, doxycycline and uh, mebendazole, uh, work in knocking out any closet infections that could be present. Doxycycline is like the all-purpose antibiotic. It has effects against malaria, Lyme's disease, atypical infections, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, and then standard infections, bacterial infections. But it also has anti-proliferation effects. And 
They both have been shown in laboratory uh, models to kill cancer stem cells, which are sometimes the inert cells that tend to not be knocked out by the other modes of treatment because they don't divide all the time, which, you know, the other cells, the other pathways of treatment work on dividing cells. So the four together have a, have a synergy and uh, care oncology through Robin Bannister saw that and put them together and they're really well tolerated. So patients uh, find us through the internet. Uh, they get a, a virtual telemedicine consult so they don't have to leave their home. And just like we're doing, you can link in other family members through the Zoom consult. And we, we now cover all of the U.S. and we cover uh, part of Canada. And we have an all oncology panel. So everybody will see an oncologist and all our nurses are oncology trained and oncology certified. So uh, we've kind of switched greatly since uh, I got involved in May, and uh, we we now see people. Brain tumors are probably only ten to twenty percent of the common patients, or common cancers we see. So this includes uh, diet suggestions, or you know, do you require that people have a uh, go on a ketogenic diet in addition to the drug taking, or is it just Richard, the drugs? Richard, that's a great question. We uh, we, we know that the ketogenic diet is very important in our brain tumor population. And uh, because of that, on our panel, we, we have consults with Miriam Kalimian, who wrote the main book on ketogenic diet for, for, for cancer. So consults or sort of uh, work with her is available through our website for those patients who want them. We think that's real important with our brain tumor patients. It's probably less critical with the, the other you know, prostate, colon, breast, lung, um, and whatnot. So we offer it, but it's, we, we, we definitely encourage it with the brain tumor patients. And, uh, most people are really, you know, that whole, you can, you can sort of basket case all the different diets into sort of a, a grouping of either wide non-eating window or low carbohydrate or, you know, ketogenic, but mainly the common thing they have is the thing they have in common is low carbohydrates with a period of some some non-eating through the day, that, which further increases your insulin sensitivity and lowers your blood sugars. And once again, so you mean like right, uh, intermittent fasting or time time restricted feeding? Yes, exactly, Richard. And so uh, I don't get too technical on which one of those is right. I just say some version that works for your lifestyle. And once again. I discuss things, everything in an 80-20 format. Well, you know, if you do it 80% of the time, you're probably going to get most of the results without going, you know, getting too, you know, nervous and anal about it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay. So a bit of intermittent fasting, you know, the protocol varies, and then this cocktail, these four drugs, and how long is the protocol? And uh, what do you observe happens to people during the initial parts of it and then through the, you know, the time period. I don't know if it's eight weeks or yeah. a year or yes. how long it is. So the way it works, Richard, ideally, perfect case scenario, and we're starting to see this in a few cases. We'd like to start right after diagnosis of a high-risk cancer. And I define a high-risk cancer as someone who has less than a 50% five-year survival. To me, a coin flip's not a good bet to be around in five years. So if you can use this along with standard of care, and we have white papers on the white papers, meaning a scientific-based paper on the utility of this in virtually all the cancers, prostate, lung, 
the breast, sarcoma, you, you name it, gliomas. And so we try to start it as early as possible. And then the patient would get their standard of care, which could be, you know, surgery, radiation, chemo, or just chemo, or say some lymphomas. And then we try to use this for at least two years to continue to downregulate it. And, and after two years, and then we can only write a prescription for three months. So the patients see us, get a three-month, we have nursing follow-up in the middle of that, we have a helpline, and then three months later, we then do another follow-up and, uh, and, and initiate another three months of, of and we sometimes modify the medications. And we'd like to go two years. And then we are currently about to release what, we, what we're going to call a remission protocol and ultimately a, pre- a prevention protocol. But the remission protocol is a derivation of these four drugs, but at a lower dose and at less frequency. So we like to use it for two years to, to really drive the proliferation into the dirt. And of course, normal follow-up staging and tumor markers are done during that time by the standard of care physicians. So do you, do you see people mostly with metastatic cancer or do they just have a primary tumor? And if so, what do you see in those two cohorts, you know, after a year or two year of treatment? Good question. What we see a lot of is people that have, you know, gone down the standard of care route and had progression on chemotherapy. Maybe it's their second line chemotherapy. Now it may be chemotherapy with some of the new targeted treatments, you know, from precision medicine. And they realize that, you know, you know, the, the hope that they're going to get this fixed with the path they're on is is unlikely. And we see them jump in with us and, you know, they might even be seeing their tumor markers fail or their imaging start to show fail. And once they get metabolic blockade on it, which is sort of the, the final you know, blockade of the moat of cancer cell proliferation, maybe the chemotherapy was only working par- partially or the hormonal therapy or immune therapy. And what, what we usually see is then the tumor markers start to go down and their progression diminish. And so we see that a lot in those people that join us as they fail. What we see from people who join us before they you know, fail or as they start their adjuvant chemotherapy or initial chemotherapy is we see a much higher rate of response. And uh, this doesn't add too much side effect burden to their their pathway. I mean, there's a little bit of diarrhea with one of the medicines, about 5 to 10%. There's a slight chance of raising your your uh, liver function with the statin, and we monitor for that. And then there's a little bit of uh, possibility of upper GI irritation with the doxycycline. And we, we that's why we have a physician monitor this. We've had six years of expertise and monitoring through our teammates in England and Center of Excellence. And so there's a, a fair amount of tricks for this, like the brain tumor protocol is different than the non-brain tumor protocol. And uh, we try to get to a stable dose and we can go up if we need to. So, so yes, it's different uh, depending on what stage we see people. Ideally, we'd like to see people as early as possible. Well, that's, that leads to a big question. Do people have to go through a certain percentage of the standard of care to be allowed to go see you? Or can they, as soon as they find out they have cancer, go see you first? So we've had both. We've had, uh, is, is a organization that supports, you know, doing the standard of care to the degree one can. Uh, we, we always encourage people to do that. In fact, I just saw a breast cancer patient who really was a good candidate to get simple hormonal blockade for her metastatic breast cancer. 
And I was the one that got her back to a new oncologist in North Carolina to, to get that started with our metabolic blockade. But Richard, some people have already burned all their bridges with the, the second line, third line chemotherapy, and they really just do care oncology alone, possibly with some diet interventions. Others, uh, I've had a patient from Southern California who with his eyes and his wife's support fully open, has a HPV positive base of tongue tumor. He, he said, I know I can do standard of care at some point. Uh, I'd like to, he did some expensive alternative care in Mexico. Then he found care oncology. Our program is a, kind of a bargain. In general, it costs about 2000 a little over $2,000 a year for medication and doctor oversight. Uh, although there's a patent on the four drugs, we ask our partnership pharmacy to charge the lowest amount they can to get all four drugs to people for a three-month interval. Um, we, uh, this man from Southern California ended up uh, using just our products, and he monitors the lymph nodes in his neck along with diet. And, uh, you, know, we, you know, he's gone into it with his eyes open, and I've encouraged him to stay close to his ENT surgeon with, with follow-up exams and imaging. But he has just said, you know, I'm, I think he's, you know, he coaches his kids. He does, uh, he's in his late 40s. He just knows that he would like to hold off on the side effects of standard of care therapy as long as possible. We don't recommend that, but there's examples of that. And then do people actually go into remission through your protocol, or is it more that, you know, they'll have metastatic disease, and the metastatic disease just doesn't progress anymore? Or do you have stories where the metastatic tumors will actually go away and leaving them maybe with a primary only or they all the tumors go away? Like what are the range of outcomes you've we, seen? We've had the whole range. And um, in general, it works better with there's some standard of care on board, but we've had people stabilize on COC alone. Uh, we've had uh, people regress on COC alone. And of course, we know and I, I hear people saying this, there is the placebo effect. And I'll take, if something works, I'll take the placebo effect any day of the week. I do know we offer people a, a, a supportive environment to consider, uh, you know, a, these are all drugs that, you know, ironically, Richard, if, if we could wiggle our nose and get rid of all cancer in the United States, it would only increase the average lifespan by two, two and a half years. Because the things that cause cancer also, you know, group together and cause cardiovascular disease, you know, neurovascular disease, neurodegenerative disease, and metabolic disease like, you know, diabetes and such. So these four medicines have some impact on all those. So it's, uh, in my mind, if you have a high-risk situation, it's an easy yes to consider something that would impact the cancer, but also the other things in life. I, uh, personally use some of these medicines for longevity and, and prevention uh, purposes and, and believe in, you know, in this, in this metabolic theory. So the, the, all four of the drugs are off patent and generics are used for all four of them, or is there any name brand left that manufactures these? No, they're, these? they're, they're all, they're all off patent and, uh, you know, been generic for a while. Uh, there is one little hiccup there, and this is not uncommon in the U.S. Pharma pharmacology, pharmaceutical market. One of the drugs was so cheap, uh, it was actually bought up by another company. It used to be like 30 cents a pill, and they immediately made it, it's, it's, it's mebendazole. They immediately made it uh, like four to $500 a pill. 
which you know most people only use a pill or two for for yeah. the worm. So the indication. So it's it's one of those. It's like the EpiPen. And so what we have done is, uh, and then there's a veterinary version of it, which has a different activity and hasn't been tested like ours in humans. And so what we did was our partnership pharmacy is the biggest compounding pharmacy in the United States. They cover all the states and they have been able to reformulate it in a way to recreate the original ingredients. And uh, we sell it as cheap as we can along with the other drugs. But truth be told, probably you know 75% of the cost, monthly cost, which is $60, 70, 80% of it is related to mebendazole. The other ones are, are pretty simple and less expensive. Now, Care Oncology was able to get a question. What's the uh, a quick question before that? What, what's the largest compounding pharmacy in the U.S.? What's the name? It's called MedQuest. MedQuest. Okay, I'm just curious. So, are you I'm saying Care Oncology? Yeah. So, Care Oncology, uh, after they showed efficacy in this, uh, they got a use patent on the four drugs, so that. Uh, you know, they put a lot of time, you know, since 2013, a lot of work into proving its anti-cancer benefits. So they have a, a intellectual protection there on the way these are used for anti-cancer strategies. Um, and that is, covers U.S. and this covers North and South America. And then there's separate, there's a, you know, other pat, there's patent for Europe and the rest of the world as well. But uh, at this point, we're trying to get the word out and trying to make metabolic oncology sort of the fourth or fifth wheel of oncology care. And, uh, you know, this, this really aligns with me for, for years. I was challenged to understand why, you know, the NCI dedicated cancer centers in the United States had no consistent policy on nutrition. And it was usually just say, eat anything, you know, just make sure you don't lose weight. And we know that for the rest of us without cancer, you know, you can have, you know, 2,000 calories from, you know, some fast food place every day, or you can have 2,000 calories from, you know, the best holistic food place, and you're going to get a different outcome. I think that also applies to cancer patients as well. So, so I think we're learning more, and uh, I, I believe that there is going to be slow movement. One of the things that we're noticing is that for the first time, one of the PARP inhibitors came out and said, you know, this new, and of course, these are all $20,000 a month drugs, you know, which is, is sort of a, a real challenge, you know, in our system. But, you know, I said to, to use this effectively, you need to be on a low carbohydrate diet. And so, and then we saw a paper that showed that for those people that were doing a low carbohydrate diet, and I believe this was with a, a, a TKI, the outcome, it was for lung cancer, the outcome was like a 30 month median survival versus a, a four-month if one was not. So we're starting to see some separation where outcomes are different based on, on what kind of lifestyle someone has and kind of nutritional uh, strategies they subscribe to. I know in my life, uh, I go to school with 55 robust 20-year-olds, so I have to be on my game. Uh, I'm in the Notre Dame entrepreneurial program, which which is all STEM background to people who are trying to bring new companies to market or scale up new companies. So it's a, a incredibly rich environment for for learning and and, and, and working hard um, and also fixing things that matter. That's sort of their the tagline. Uh, and I know that 
my diet and, and exercise habits keep me up with those 20 year olds and uh and it's it's made it doable for a 60 year old so so yeah i'm glad to see that some of the standard of care you know guidelines are starting to reflect that well that's great so what's the expansion plan for care oncology or how's it going to ramp so as i mentioned at the at the beginning of this we are we are uh just now raising some we are profitable in the united states from the start uh we uh we are moving along and we're constantly getting busier. Uh, new things that are on the horizon for us, we uh, are about to initiate an 800 number so people can call in. People now can schedule themselves and upload their you know, their labs and, and imaging without going through one of our intake managers. Once again, we have an all-oncology nursing and doctor staff. Uh, we hope to get full coverage of Canada. Our uh, One of our physicians is... is uh, licensed in, in three provinces, and he's working on the others. And uh, we hope to bring out our remission protocol and then ultimately our prevention protocol, uh, you know, in the next six to 12 months. And the pre- prevention protocol is going to be very exciting. It will be a derivation of our drugs with uh, some mapping to supplements that have similar effects. We'll also partner with a exciting new company that has proprietary strategies to use blood tests to find markers for the prediction of of cancer and possibly additionally partner with uh, some new imaging modalities to do safe non-x-ray inducing imaging to find cancers earlier. So it's going to be a a layered thing where you can just do the protocol for prevention. And, And crazy to say, Richard, you know, one in two men, one in three women get cancer in their lifetime. And of those people over 40, excuse me, over 50, if you match out the 20% have HPV, a bunch have genetic risk, BRCA1, BRCA2, Lynch syndrome, those kind of things, and then add on to that, you know, family history or sort of work exposure like like pilots or firemen, uh, you know, I can name name many. It ends up being about 70 to 75% of the people, you know, over the age of 50 have some risk of cancer. So we think that's an area where we can partner Crazy. with insurance companies and use the insurance companies to help us provide this and show them how they can help their members avoid cancer and probably other medical problems and help the insurance companies spend a lot less money because we know every diagnosis is going to lead to about hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a cost, depending on you know the specific wow. diagnosis, and that we know that the diagnosis of cancer is the leading cause of medical bankruptcy. So, and those get those that get bankrupt, the risk of death goes up threefold. So, we hope to bend that curve of incidence and then lower the cost. And that's why I got into it because you know, as a Stanford-trained oncologist, I I knew that you know the 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 developments in care were exciting, but we were missing some stuff that everybody could access. In addition, as an econ major at Notre Dame, I knew that we, we had an unsustainable model currently, and this uh, uses repurposed generic drugs that are safe and work against multiple things, and they can be yeah, delivered great. from a home environment and, uh, and uh, work by basically starving cancer. Well, very good. Yeah, I didn't realize the numbers were so dire. I mean, that's that's completely unsustainable for the average person to have to spend a hundred, two hundred thousand, and it to be 
you know, if you combine men and women, 40% of the population, it just can't be. Yeah. So um, we uh, we're raising some money so we can grow faster. Some of our goals are to, um, you know, we got some, some traction in the brain tumor population. People are finding us on the internet through our new study that was published. And, you know, and our, our website is careoncology.com where you can access all our white papers and the publication and a lot of uh, patient testimonials and whatnot. Uh, actually, The Economist, uh, the magazine, without any prompting from us, did a expose on the beauty of the whole concept of repurposing drugs. It made a video of one of our patients and how it, you know, she was failing with breast cancer and how it you know, changed her outcome and how this is a, a true opportunity to use some old technology to lower costs and help people with the care of their cancer. So we hope to raise some money and then grow this and get more into the standard of care so people know about it. And uh, you know, physicians who are doing their best at big institutions, but also know they're under sort of a big brother eye to always advocate the NCCN guidelines and the standard of care, they, can, they have plenty of data to support a care oncology protocol and we're the ones that will provide it. We'll take the, the headache, you know, off them, and uh, they don't have to write the scripts and follow the liver function test. Uh, they can just, you know, bring it up with their patients, especially the patients with with uh, really high risk diagnoses, where the outcome is the standard of care is, you know, dire, is unfavorable. Well, very good one, Chuck. Thank you for coming. The work you guys are doing is super important. And what, what's the website or how can they get in touch with the clinic for people listening? Yes, it's it's uh, easy to use. It's careoncology.com, careoncology.com. It's a little confusing. Uh, there's a, It's called Care Oncology Clinic in the UK. And sometimes people find, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, I don't, I don't find the US clinic, but it's Care Oncology US. And it, you know, if you call over there, call the 800 number, they'll direct you here. And uh, we got a wonderful team. Uh, our team, uh, we we have monthly brain trust to kind of up, update ourselves on the uh, new findings. We uh, have six years of expertise from our UK partners, and many of our many of the people who work with us are, you know, if they're not a caregiver in oncology, they're a survivor. So these these are heartfelt people that uh, want to make a difference. And we have, we've got a growing list of wonderful stories of, uh, you know, you know, I do these Zoom meetings with young people who happen to get a brain tumor early and uh, they haven't had a recurrence in, in, in maybe a, a year or two. They're first, you know, they started with us early and with a glioblastoma, that's really unusual. And their doctors who are sort of watching them with the standard of care are starting to say, yeah. You know, you're different than most of the people I see. What are you doing? They might be, they're doing the care oncology protocol and they're maybe doing the ketogenic diet with us. Uh, had a lovely teacher I was talking to who uh, has the following of his whole school out in California. Speaking to a lovely pilot uh, recently who had to give up his pilot's degree or pilot's career, but is so far totally stable on the protocol. We have a young woman out in South Dakota who's like over two years, never having a recurrence. And of course, in England, where they've been doing this for six years, uh, uh, they have even you know, longer stories that, that are real exciting to see, especially in the, in the tumor glioblastoma, where we don't usually see, you know, standard of care doesn't usually see as, as many good results. 
Well, very good. Well, Chuck, thank you for coming on the call. I appreciate it. You bet, Richard. Keep up the good work and uh, appreciate being here today. Thank you. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.